This is an ABC podcast. Good morning. Welcome to AM. I'm Sabra Lane coming to you from Nipaluna, Hobart. There's broad support in Taiwan for the government's plan to reinstate a year of compulsory military service following increased pressure from China. That change won't come into effect until 2024, but it's being viewed by some as too little too late to defend the island if China invades. East Asia correspondent Bill Birdles reports. For decades, Taiwanese politicians hollowed out compulsory military service as relations across the water with China improved. It's now down to just four months, but the island's leader Tsai Ing-wen this week announced it will soon go back to one full year as the threat from China grows. It's boys who are now in their final years of high school who will be directly affected first. But many who have been through military service in recent years support the change, like Taipei resident Ace Lee. I personally think the current four months isn't enough time to get experience and learn. I think a year of training is more rational. Of course, it will bring some small difficulties to the next generations, but I think many young people are coddled and a year of discipline and duty isn't a bad thing for them. Military service has long been part of life for young Taiwanese men, but some, like Taipei resident Perry Pung, says it's increasingly seen as a hassle. Today's young people are thinking about their future, their careers, the opportunity they can get. So no one is really that interested in becoming a soldier. It's something you have to do and then you move on. This week, China set a new record, flying more than 40 aircraft across an unofficial boundary to the Taiwan side of the 160-kilometre-wide strait. It was Beijing's response to a new US funding commitment to help defend the island. Paul Huang, an independent military commentator, says returning to longer military service is an overdue step. This should have been done years ago. He works for a polling foundation that shows broad support across Taiwan society for more training and war readiness. Some analysts estimate the extended military service time could add up to 70,000 troops a year to Taiwan's 165,000 strong force. But Mr Huang says many young men will still seek to defer it. Most men, when they turn 18, they go to college so they can get deferral. So about 50-60% of them are not going to serve right away. It's going to take three years, even four years, from 2024 for the full number of conscripts to show up. China has dismissed the move as the Taiwan government trying to use its people as cannon fodder. Some in Taiwan also question the resolve of residents and soldiers to fight if conflict ever did happen. Ace Lee says it's something many just don't want to think about. Obviously, I don't want there to be a war. And I think young people in Taiwan don't want to be part of a war either. This is Bill Bertels in Taipei reporting for AM. A maternity hospital in the Ukrainian city of Kherson has been rocked by explosions with new mothers rushed to a bomb shelter. Ukraine says Russia fired 33 missiles at civilian targets in the recently liberated city during a 24-hour period. Bonnie Simons-Brown has more. A new mother in Hassan's maternity hospital still recovering from the shock of an apparent attack on the building. 
It was frightening, also unexpected. The explosions began abruptly. The window handle started to tear off. My hands are still shaking. Ukraine is blaming Russia for the blasts, which new mother Ola Prasidko says forced her and others into the hospital's basement. There was an abrupt explosion. I grabbed what I had at reach, the blanket, anything I could see, and quickly ran to the corridor. The windows and glass started to shatter. I saw all the doctors were already in the corridor. They started gathering the girls and went to the basement to hide. When we came to the basement, the shelling wasn't over, not for a minute. Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky's deputy chief of staff said at the time of the explosion, there were five women with newborns and staff inside the hospital. One woman had just undergone a caesarean section 30 minutes before the attack. There are no reports that anyone was hurt. The hospital's head obstetrician, Ina Filofeva, reflecting on how the situation could have been very different. I don't even want to think about it. What could have happened? Literally half an hour before the doctors had left the surgery room. They were operating on a woman and had just left. Russian forces abandoned Kherson city last month in one of Ukraine's most significant gains of the war. Moscow denies targeting civilians. Bonnie Simons-Brown reporting there. A First Nations mother is calling on the federal government to intervene in an international custody battle and bring her two-year-old daughter back to Australia. The family court ordered the child be returned to Europe with her father under the Hague Convention, a law designed to stop international child abductions. But advocates say the law doesn't consider what's best for the child and her right to connect with her own culture. Here's political reporter Dana Morse. These are the cries of a two-year-old First Nations child being taken from her mother's arms after a failed bid to keep her in Australia. Her mother, an Aboriginal woman who cannot be named, left Europe with her daughter when she was seven months old, alleging she was abused by her husband, allegations he denies. I came home thinking I was just returning home to my work, to my home, to my family, to my community, um, to the country where I intended to give birth. I was booked into an Australian hospital to give birth. And if not for his domestic violence, I would have given birth in Australia. It's just been crippling. It's been ongoing trauma. An Australian court ordered the child must return to Europe with her father under the Hague Convention, overshadowing a provisional apprehended domestic violence order issued in New South Wales, preventing him from going within 100 metres of the mother or his daughter. The child was flown out of Australia on Christmas Day. Suddenly she's been put in this situation where she's not thriving and where she's distraught and she's traumatised. The Hague Convention is an international agreement designed to protect children from being abducted from the country they've grown up in. Under the agreement, judges are compelled to return children to their country of habitual residence, but advocates say the law fails to take domestic violence into account. Janine Hendry is a spokesperson for Her Hague Story, an organisation advocating for the law to be changed. Ostensibly, uh, all Hague cases are gagged currently. Around 75% of cases that are heard under the Hague Convention are actually women fleeing domestic violence. And the Hague Convention is actually being weaponised against these women. 
Earlier this year, the Australian government made some changes to the wording of the legislation around Hague cases, meaning judges could take domestic violence into account, but it's not a requirement. Dr Gina Masterton is a Gubby Gubby and Waka Waka woman, lawyer and expert on the Hague Convention. She says the legislation could be stronger. It doesn't go far enough. I was happy when I heard about it. Um, it it's progress and I've been writing about this for about nine years so any kind of progress is, is, is a good thing. In a statement, the Attorney-General Mark Dreyfus said there were no legal grounds for him to intervene in this case and the government is committed to a safe and fair family law system. Dr Masterton says there should be considerations for First Nations children. It's a good law. I mean, it's a good law for what it's supposed to do, but it was never intended to be applied to cases involving domestic violence. The Hague Convention overshadows every other kind of consideration, even when it comes to you know, how adversely affected a First Nations child would be in losing their culture. The mother is now facing the prospect of returning to the country she escaped to try and regain custody of her daughter through the local courts. Dana Moore's reporting there. The clean-up after the severe winter storm in the US has begun, but the travel chaos for many Americans is continuing. Southwest Airlines, one of the country's largest carriers, is experiencing something of a meltdown, with the company unable to connect its own pilots and crew to planes, let alone passengers and bags. The Transport Secretary, Pete Buttigieg, Buttigieg sorry, says the airline can't blame the weather anymore for the problems and says Southwest should go above and beyond to compensate stranded passengers. North America correspondent Barbara Miller reports. In Buffalo, in New York State, the cleanup of several feet of snow is underway. The worst of the bad weather is over, but thousands of Americans are still stuck in transit after the continued cancellation of flights. Southwest Airlines is worst affected, cancelling around 60% of its operations. Well, meltdown is the right word. This is an unacceptable situation. Transport Secretary Pete Buttigieg told CNN the airline must go above and beyond to sort out the problems and compensate passengers. From what I can tell, Southwest is unable to locate even where their own crews are, let alone their own passengers, let alone baggage. The airline CEO, Bob Jordan, has apologised to passengers, admitting its IT systems for managing resources need to be updated. Clearly, we need to double down on our already existing plans to upgrade systems for these extreme circumstances. We have some real work to do in making this right. D.C. resident Brittany Boykin has found herself stuck in St. Louis, Missouri, where she spent Christmas with family. She decided to purchase a ticket with a different airline after her Southwest flight home was cancelled. I did that because we were told that they weren't even considering rebooking uh, passengers until New Year's Eve, which is Saturday. And uh, that's, I love my family, but a week was quite a long enough to be so I'm I'm ready to get back, and um, I had the the means to actually purchase a flight. Um, and does it make you angry, or or what's your your feeling about it all? Angry is not the word. I just feel very disappointed because as taxpayers, we gave these airlines so much money to bail them out of the pandemic, and to see that you know the reason that we're having these issues isn't because of weather; it's because of poor infrastructure and um, it's because of greed. 
basically. It's just really disappointing and disheartening. Brittany Boykin's brother is staying put in St. Louis. Alternatives for him to go back to San Diego were not viable. The flights back to California um, were astronomical on the other airlines at $1,200, $1,400, sometimes $2,000. He's been booked on a flight on Monday, almost a week after he intended to get back to California. Southwest says it's optimistic by next week things will be back on track. This is Barbara Miller in Washington reporting for AM. Ten months after the devastating floods in the Northern Rivers region of New South Wales, hundreds of people in Lismore are still facing housing insecurity. The damage to their homes is so bad that they've been unable to return, forcing many to couch surf, camp in backyards or to go into temporary accommodation. And as they wait on help from the government, a team of volunteers is trying to patch up some of the homes. Nell Whitehead went to see them. When Lismore flooded, an army of volunteers came to the rescue. And that volunteer army is still working, putting the town back together. The ceiling's clean and it's just ready to rock. These volunteers are putting up walls in a house. They're part of a program called Two Rooms, which puts walls and insulation in a couple of rooms so the owners have a space that's safe and dry. It's run by a community group, Resilient Lismore, and overseen by volunteering tradies. Everyone else is learning on the job. So who is the expert on that one? Who wants to become an expert? (laughs) Retired carpenter Steve Donovan has been volunteering since March. I was actually part of the Tinney Army after the flood, and and I looked around town. I was in the SCS many years ago, and... um, and I looked around town, I thought, I've never seen any devastation like this in my life. It, it actually shocked me. Um, so I, I give a couple of days per week when I can fit it in. And yeah, no, I love it. It's great. We really feel like we're achieving a lot there at the moment. Lismore's had to rely on this kind of help because a housing crisis in the Northern Rivers means that many flood victims have been left in limbo, unable to fix their homes or find somewhere else affordable to rent. Most of the tradies in town here at the moment are flat out. We've got, everyone's busy. I've heard the other day, can't get a plumber till next May. Electricians are out till next February. The builders have got probably 12 months' work on, in their books at the moment. So we have a few tradies here, but most of us are older. that are sort of semi-retired, so we've actually got a little bit of time to give. And the rest of the people, they're just people that are keen to come along and help us out. Flood victims are still waiting to hear if they're eligible for the state government's $700 million buyback scheme launched in October. In the meantime, the Two Rooms project has fixed rooms in 66 houses. Ellie Bird is director of Resilient Lismore. We have always looked at it as, well, this is the problem. We actually have a loose solution right in front of us, and that is that we have housing stock. It's just damaged. So... We are working as hard as we can to make as much of that housing stock habitable as possible. Uh, We're not doing full rebuilds, but we're supporting people to at least get a level of livability in some of those homes. Resilient Lismore calculates that going on the wages of its volunteers, from cleaners to sparkies, it's delivered over $3.4 million worth of volunteer help, over 84,000 cumulative hours. Across the town, volunteer groups are still supporting residents with everything from food and furniture to free massages. I met Daryl in his home of 31 years, or what's left of it, in South Lismore. 
I was licensed out of a hotel, popular hotel in Lismore, and uh, myself and the family are living there at the moment. So, but where we could be kicked down there at any time, so we need to get back in here if we need to get two or three rooms up where I can put my girls and the animals and family in. Mm. Two rooms volunteers have restored the walls for a bedroom and kitchen. Unreal, they're great people. Um, all the all the materials donated, the time of these people is donated, so I can't think of enough. And so, do you reckon you reckon you can get it to a kind of livable yes. state that yep. you guys will be able to get? If we need to come in tomorrow, we can be here tomorrow. You know, now with the two rooms up, we got a big camp barbecue. We've got things in place if we need to come back. Back on site, that's the kind of thing that keeps Steve Donovan going. Keeps you busy. Oh, Sounds look, like you're pretty busy anyway. <laughs> oh, look, I'm tired. I'm so I can't say I'm not, but you know. We just look at each other, we smile and we say, you know, it's been a bit of a tough day, but, you know, we get up the next day and we get on with it again and, you know, we, we're so proud of what we're doing here. Steve Donovan, volunteer for Resilient Lismore, Nell Whitehead reporting there. As the number of COVID deaths climbs again, is enough being done to guard against the disease in Australia? Compulsory restrictions and strict rules on isolation and mask wearing have mostly been replaced with recommendations. The latest figures show deaths in aged care are doubling to more than 100 in a week. But what do community members think about the current COVID policies? Our reporter Annie Guest has been finding out. Queensland mangoes and other summer delights bring shoppers shoulder to shoulder at this Sunshine Coast grocer. Does it worry you going into the fruit shop when it's so crowded? Going in there with all them people in there now... We should have probably had a mask on this morning, but... I just hope we don't get it now. There is a, a fair bit of COVID around the community. Does that worry you? Yeah, it does. We've got compromised health at the moment, uh, but the messaging, I think, too, is really, really serious. Official figures show an apparent doubling of COVID deaths in the fortnight before Christmas, almost all of them in aged care. But data journalist Juliet O'Brien, who analyses COVID statistics says it's too soon to tell. I would absolutely suggest caution before reading too much into these statistics. There are frequently jumps and batches and revisions, especially in deaths reporting. So let's wait and see. So in terms of reported cases, the peak has passed. In terms of hospitalisations, we are stable. And can you just remind people of how many Australians have died of COVID? Um, The number as it stands now is nearly 17,000 Australians have died from COVID. So we have 4,500 resident deaths in aged care. Mandatory COVID rules have largely been replaced by recommendations around testing, isolation and mask wearing in certain settings. And the owner of this busy takeaway wants it to stay this way. You know, it's just horrible to see people, you know, the elderly and that dying, but, you know, you still have to move on, I guess, you know, like businesses need to make money and yeah, kids need to go to school. And yeah, but I think they've struck the right balance. I don't know what else more they can do, really. But. Meanwhile, as cases surge in China, some countries are requiring travellers from China to record a negative COVID test on arrival. However, a spokesperson for the Minister for Health says travel arrangements for people arriving in Australia remain unchanged. Annie Guest reporting. That's AM for today. Thanks for your company. I'm Sabra Lane.
You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.